Good morning, everyone, and very warm welcome to you all to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. A special welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. We hope you'll enjoy your time with us. Our service this morning will be led by our minister, Katrina, and everything we need to follow the service, including the words of all the hymns, is on the printed order of service and on the screen here behind us. We will celebrate communion this morning during the service, and everyone who is trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. But if for any reason you'd rather not, just pass the bread and wine to your neighbour. Please stay and have a, tea, a cup of tea and coffee after the service. Thank you, Nancy. You can always tell when it's summer. Not by the weather, <laughs> but by the fact that lots of people... Uh, are away and that, that's as it should be that people are able to get away and enjoy a break but thank you for coming this morning I would have felt very lonely if you hadn't our call to worship is from John's gospel but I'm going to use the paraphrase that is known as the message just to give the words a slight change of emphasis perhaps the word was first the word present to God God present to the Word. The Word was God, in readiness for God from day one. Everything that was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. Our opening hymn of praise this morning is written by... A, a URC congregational uh, minister called Brian Wren, whose work I will be referring to at various points during the service. Great God, your love has called us here. And if you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing.
So we are going to come to God now in prayer. And as usual, we will join in the Lord's Prayer at the end of the guided prayer in whichever form feels the most normal and natural for us. So let us pray together. God, who speaks to us in nature, we praise and thank you for the wonderful creation of which we are but a tiny part. From the mystery of the atom to the wonder of the universe, the endless hues and shades of color, the heat of fire and the cold of ice, mountains and oceans, flora and fauna, all of it speaks of your creativity, delight and love. God, who speaks to us in scripture, we praise and thank you for the diverse stories and poems within our Bible. From the mystery and myth of ancient times to the very earthiness of letters. The faults and failings of powerful people. The cries of those who were marginalized or oppressed and the Gospels which tell us about Jesus. In all of it, we find words that speak of your hope, your grace and your truth. God who speaks to us in all things, we praise and thank you that we too are part of your great story. From our conception, hidden in the depths of our mother's wombs, through the hiddenness of death, which leads us to eternal life, and all the way in between. As we meet to worship you this day, to sing, to pray, and to listen for your voice, May the words we be employ be worthy of the one in whose name we pray. The word made human, even Christ our Lord. And we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Oh, uh-huh. 
as we're moving a bit towards the summer and we might be a bit fewer people, we try and do something that's a little bit light-hearted to start with. Thinking about words and phrases and what they, they mean. So I'm going to start by putting up a word on the screen and I'm going to then show you three pictures that are what that word might mean to different people. And I want you to be honest and when you've seen the word, don't shout out, but keep the image in your head that comes to you first. And then if you're willing, put your hands up when we get to the one that is what you thought of. And if you didn't think of anything, any of them, that's totally fine, so don't panic. So the word is tea cake, okay? Has everybody got a picture in their head of a tea cake? Okay, first image. Who thought of a toasted tea cake, a bun with fruit? A few of us. Okay, that's, that was what I, well, I kind of actually grew up with two definitions alongside each other, but that was the most common one when I grew up. Who thought of one of those? Yeah, I thought that would be the case, yep. So a tunnock's tea cake is what most people in Scotland will think of when they hear the word tea cake. And if anybody's got a really good memory, which I have to confess I don't, there was a big debacle on the Great British Bake Off when they asked them to make tea cakes and all the Scots thought they meant tea cakes. <laughs> I actually grew up with both of those. I think perhaps because my mum grew up in Glasgow, but also because there's Corby in Northamptonshire, which is even more Scottish than Scotland. So all our shops sold tunnocks tea cakes. We even had them in the tuck shop at school. Or is it one of these? Anybody think of that one? Nobody from Blackburn then. <laughs> I used to work with somebody who came from Blackburn, and he used to talk about this great Blackburn delicacy, that were a dab on a tea cake. A dab on a tea cake. A tea cake was a bread roll, and a dab was a tatty scone. People in England do have tatty scones. So three different things, all with one word to describe them. 
Okay, let's see what comes up next. I can't remember what I've got in what order. Uh, okay, I'm going to put up a whole load of words now that all re refer to the same thing. And if you see one that you recognize, again, you can put your hand up or down accordingly. So a jitty, I'll put my hand up because that's what I grew up with. A jetty, oh, Graham had a jetty as well, I think, yeah. Jetties and jetties, yeah, quite a few jetties, okay. A ginnel, yeah, a few ginnels. A vinyl, a genel, a twitchel. No Cornish people then. An alley, yeah. A lane. An entry, yep. <laughs> Sorry, Holly. I ran out of <laughs> I ran out of like ideas. Yeah. I mean it's really interesting because to me an entry is, an, is one that goes down the back. Like a back is an entry. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. An entry is the same thing, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> so it's a little well, what is it? See I would if somebody said to me what's that, I would say it's a jitty, because that's the word I grew up with. But there are other people who would say it was a, a, a ginnel or a twitchel or an alley or Elaine. Um, Elaine's the one I hear most around here. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I mostly hear. Sorry? A lawning. Okay, that's new. Okay, yeah. Good, thank you. Sorry? A jetty is used in some parts of the Midlands for a, for a jitty. Yeah. In, in, North, in Northampton, there was actually a jitty called Jay's Jetty. I know, it's, it's bewildering, isn't it? Because what does, what does jetty mean for most people? A pier, yeah, a place where boats... So you have to be careful, don't you? If you, if you, um, if you said to somebody, go through Jay's Jetty in Northampton, and it was anybody who didn't come from Northampton, they would think they were looking for a pier. And how on earth do you walk through a pier? Thank you, Ian, that's really good. No, that's really helpful, because that's exactly the kind of thing that we're thinking about. Okay, what does this one mean? It's black over Bill's, our Bill's mothers. Black over our Bill's mothers, even. Try and get my accent right. Graham, do you not know that one? No. Oh, that's, that's interesting, because that's used in the Midlands. Okay, it just means I think it's going to rain. <laughs> Clouds, we're going to rain. I'm not quite sure who our Bill is, but, you know, it's over his mother's anyway. Okay. Council Pop, Corporation Pop, Adam's Ale. Anybody recognise that one? A few people over here. Water, yeah, just means water. Kunzel juice. juice, okay, thank you, <laughs> Katrina. That's good. Another variation on the theme, yep. Kunzel juice, council pop, corporation pop in the north of England. Adam's Ale, if you're posh. Okay, right. Uh, Divan Fret Pat. It's Geordie, yeah. Okay, Birit uh, Maruk. Then if ashes are hen. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll be all right. <laughs> Love, dear, whatever. So they all mean the same thing, really, but they vary. So Geordies will say different frat pet, pet. I can't do a Geordie accent, but that's what they will say. Birit Maduk is uh, definitely in the Middle East Midlands. Then if ashes hen. So different places have different expressions that kind of say the same thing. Right, here's one that may divide us. Keep in your head what you think of when you see that phrase. Because I've been well and truly caught out with this one. Does it mean 
I'm really thirsty. Yes, it does. To me. Yes. Or does it mean I'm really angry? Which is what it means to a lot of people. When I first went to visit the church in Hugglescote, Leicestershire, going from Manchester, somebody said to me, would you like a cup of tea? I said, oh, I'd love one. I'm spitting feathers. And they looked at me and said, you what? I said, spitting feathers, you're really thirsty. Can't say that here. It means you're really angry. So I'd maybe Mancunian or northwest of England. But same expression, totally different meanings. Could really get ourselves mixed up. Okay. A whole pile of words coming up now. I'm just going to let them appear. And leave it for you to think what these refer to. So what are these words for? God. Yeah, different words for God. And this is just some of the words that people use for God. A lot of them are the very common ones. Um, Deliberately, I started with the Almighty Father, Protector, King, Judge language, because that is the most commonly used in churches. But there are many other words that are used for God. And a little bit this week, um, when we're going to look at language in in general, but more in a couple of weeks when we get to Trinity, we're going to think a little bit about the language we use to describe God. But first, we're going to sing a song that gets us to do our best Hebrew. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophe, Jehovah Mkadesh, something like that. Say it confidently, they'll never know. Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tzidkenu, and Jehovah Shammah, or something like that. Anyway, thanks, Paul.
first reading this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Does wisdom not call? And does understanding not raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gate, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all who live. O simple ones, learn prudence, acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice of gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, live with prudence and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have good advice and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me rulers rule and nobles all who govern rightly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. And now from James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small organ yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our organs as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the cycle of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. 
for every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curse. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salty water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Around about 30 years ago now, Brian Wren wrote a book called What Language Shall I Borrow? And it begins with this poem, The Main Question. If every naming of God is a borrowing from human experience, and If language slants and angles our thinking and behavior, and if our society makes qualities labeled feminine inferior to qualities labeled masculine, forming women and men with identities steeped in those labelings, in structures where men are still dominant though shaken, and women still subordinate, those seeking emancipation, then it follows that using only male language, he, king, father, to name and praise God, powerfully affects our encounter with God and our thinking and behavior. so that we must then ask whether male dominance and female subordination and seeing God only in male terms are God's intention or human distortion and sin. For if these things are indeed a deep distortion and sin, so that women and men are called to repent together from domination and subordination, then how can we name and praise God 
in ways less idolatrous, more freeing, and more true to the triune God and the direction of love in the anointed one, Jesus. We remain seated as we sing. I can vividly recall the first time I was entrusted with the intercessory prayer for College Chapel. It was towards the end of my first term, and I had already experienced the tensions that arose week by week as students of different theological leanings and diverse backgrounds endeavoured to find firm forms of words to express the ideas they had been pondering, the prayers they wanted to pray. I sat on the city with a pencil and some paper and I began to draft ideas. Every sentence I wrote, I scored out. Someone will object to this name used for God. Somebody will be offended that I have expressed my words in this way. Am I allowed to say this or to say that? Since then, I have joked many times about a true thing that at one point, all I had left on my sheet of paper were, God, Amen. Those were the words that felt safe enough to use. Eventually, I did come up with something that I felt it was okay to share, that was true to what I believe, that was true to how I understand God, that focused on topics I thought were important and reflected consideration of the impact of my words on the others who would be part of that service. I say, near enough 20 years ago. And yet whenever I think about it, and as I've shared that story this morning, I feel what I felt then. For me, it was a formative experience, one that shaped the language I used to speak of God ever since. Possibly, after a decade, you've kind of stopped noticing that I will very rarely use gendered pronouns for God. I did last week. I, I heard myself call God he, and I was really shocked, because that's, that's not what I tend to do. 
the one specifically male image of God that we do use week in, week out, of course, is in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And we use that because those are words that Jesus chose to use to describe God. I will refer to Jesus of Nazareth as a man because, do you know what? He was a man. But if I talk about the Christ of God, I tend to do so in gender-neutral language because the Christ being part of God, being divine, transcends such categories. All human categories, all definitions, these, these fall apart if we try to think of God. So in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be thinking about the language we use for God. Trinity Sunday seemed like a good time to do that. Today, I want to think a little bit more about language in general terms and who it might be wise for us to listen to as we reflect on the words we choose. It's no secret that the letter of James is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. It's very plain speaking, it's very down to earth, and it's not too holy, it's very practical. And that reading that Holly brought to us this morning, we have a writer who is very aware of his own frailty. And he recognizes that what is true for him is pretty much true for most of us, at least. Everybody makes mistakes, he says. Everybody gets it wrong sometimes. Sometimes I will open my mouth, as the expression goes, simply to change feet. I say something that's unhelpful and I try to make it right and I make it worse. Sometimes we will all say things that come out wrong. Sometimes we will say something that's perfectly innocuous as far as we're concerned and somebody else misunderstands it. Sometimes we just wish we could go back and say it different. Well, that's me anyway. I suspect I'm not alone. So I think the first thing we need to hear today is that this is not about telling anybody off. This is actually a recognition, as James tells us, that we're all human. And we will all get it wrong sometimes. It's not a case of some people get it right all the time and some people get it wrong all the time. Actually, all of us will mess up sometimes. So let's not beat ourselves up about what we can't change but let's try and hear what might help us to think about what we can change. And maybe that recognition that actually we will all get it wrong sometimes will help us to be kinder to ourselves and a little bit more forgiving of others when they make mistakes. However, just because we make mistakes doesn't mean that the words we use don't matter. Quite the opposite. James says, if we say that we love God, and if we aspire to follow Jesus, who a lot of biblical scholars tell us was James's big brother, then what we say is affected by that. If we, are, if we love God, we follow Jesus, then that has to affect the way we speak. There is an old saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I always kind of grew up understanding that as meaning that negotiation is more effective than fighting. But I'm not sure if that's the only way we can hear that. 
I think it can be understood, and some people certainly have understood it, as reflecting the inherent power of words that can actually inflict more damage than any form of physical armed combat. When I was a child, there was a saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And as I grew up and into my late teens, early 20s, I heard a different version of that, which I think is more true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will break my heart. If words are that powerful, what are the things we need to be alert to? I don't think I'm going to be saying anything new this morning. It's more a reminder, I think, of what we are already aware of. I wonder how many of us remember the former Prime Minister, David Cameron, who referred to a swarm of people coming across the Mediterranean, seeking a better life, wanting to come to Britain. That is a, a direct quote. I, I listened to the interview again this week. A swarm of people coming across the Mediterranean. At best, this was careless. It was a remark that created, rightly in my view, a furore, because the word swarm has negative connotations. A swarm of locusts who swoop in, gobble up everything in sight. A swarm of flies carrying disease. A swarm of bees ought to be a positive one, especially as bees themselves are endangered. But actually, it's more like, oh, they're scary. They might sting us if we'd want to run away from them. So swarm is a word that carries huge negative understanding. And not only does it dehumanize people by referring them to them as animals, he, he could equally have called them a herd, which would have been demeaning. Um, uh, we're thinking of them as, as cattle or something to be herded across. That would have been demeaning. But this is actually about animals that we consider to be negative. So metaphors, symbols, analogies, descriptions, images, they're really important because they affect the way we think. They affect the way we view each other. They affect the way we view ourselves. If I hear myself described as, as my mother was growing up, an English pig, I will hear that a certain way. If I hear myself described as a doer Scot, that will affect me a certain way. So language really matters. It shapes the way we see ourselves, and it shapes the way we see other people. I'm going to give you another example, and this was something my mum used to say to us when we were growing up. She used to say, if, if we said something that she thought was a bit patronising, as teenagers will sometimes, I didn't come up the Clyde on a banana boat. And the meaning of that then was self-evident. Talking about the 1960s and 70s here. It was similar to other expressions that I, I've learned over the years. Um, in Northamptonshire, people would just say, I wasn't born yesterday. Quite straightforward. North of England, people would say, I didn't come down in the last shower. Other people would say, I'm not as green as I'm cabbage looking. And this one I've borrowed from Ireland, I didn't come up the lithy in a bubble. Lagging, is it? Well, 
Okay, I think, yeah, okay. I found two rivers, and I thought people might have heard of the Liffey. So the Lagan, okay, thanks, Holly. No, put me right, that's good. So I didn't come up the Lagan in a bubble. Now, I actually think some of those are innocuous, but what about the banana boat? See, that one's changed, hasn't it? Nowadays, we hear that as referring to people of colour, or it could be heard as referring to the people of colour who came over to the UK to make a new life at our request, and some of them came on the same boats as the bananas. So what once meant somebody who was a bit of an ingenue, an innocent, who didn't quite understand stuff, has flipped into potentially a racist remark. I actually shared that saying in a, a, a Facebook group I'm part of as an example of, of the kind of sayings that people use. And we had a really interesting little mini conversation about how that one's changed its meaning. And that's where some of the others, that's where my, my Liffey one came from, Holly, even if I got my river wrong. So times change and words change their meanings. And we can't just dismiss it. We can't just go, yeah, but it doesn't really mean that. Because actually, maybe to an African-Caribbean person, it does. And their interpretation is every bit as valid <coughs> as anybody else's, and perhaps in this case, more so. We'll all get it wrong sometimes. We'll all say things that we think are innocent, and, and somebody else hears them very differently. So we keep on trying. We try to stay alert, to think about what it is that we say, and what we hear. And sometimes we actually have to take our courage in both hands and name that. If something is hurtful to us, or hurtful about others or to others, then sometimes we actually need to go, oh, hang on a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't let you say that. Part of the way we seek to express our ethos here at Hillhead is in, is in terms of language. Every Sunday, I will sit down with my script and go through it and check the language. Is there something that I can spot that might be hurtful or offensive to somebody else? Could it be misunderstood? Now, sometimes I will get that right and sometimes I will get that wrong. I usually get it wrong when I go off script and just speak because my brain doesn't work quickly enough and I... I or say daft things or unhelpful things. I also look through every single hymn that we sing. And the choir deserve endless praise because there's barely a week goes by that I don't change a word in a hymn or a phrase in a hymn because actually they were written in a different age when words had slightly different meanings. And they're very good. They put up with me. Again, I don't always get it right, but I try. And we don't always get it right. We will sometimes say things to each other that hurt us. Or we will be hurt by things other people say. And people who hear us speaking, perhaps people who listen to the services online, will be upset or hurt by things. But we keep on trying. We keep on trying to model a community based on the truths that we learn from Jesus which the Gospels tell us is God's word made into a human being. If we believe, as I think we do, that absolutely everyone on this planet is made in the image and likeness of God, if we believe 
that everybody is of equal worth. And if we believe that in Jesus Christ, the categories that divide us into them and us, those who are like us and those who aren't like us, and binary categories, if we believe all that is abolished, all that disappears, then that has to affect the words we say as well as the things we do. I think possibly within the church bubble or within the hill head bubble, it's comparatively easy. It's not so easy outside. And so I'm going to read to you some words from Brian Wren, which I think are helpful in concluding, and then I will read you another of his poems. This is what Brian Wren says about language. Language change is not all important. If it were, then changing language would be all that was needed to change the world. Nor is it unimportant. If it were, we could concentrate on doing love and justice and quit worrying about how we speak of God. To separate language from action is false. Language change is an essential part of action. If I cease using racist language, I will not thereby end racism. Yet, trying out new forms of speech is a necessary part of finding out what I really think. By using non-racist language, I also commit myself more deeply than before, even if I can't completely live out my commitment. Language is a public medium. If I use or abandon racist or sexist language or begin to name God anew, I shall open myself to comment and criticism and I shall have to explain and defend my usage. It may then be easier than before to act on what I've said. Language like tobacco, is habit-forming. Some patterns of, of writing and speaking are addictive and may damage both the user and others who breathe the same linguistic atmosphere. If we see the damage being done and decide to kick the habit, we may get withdrawal symptoms and hostility or derision from other smokers. But in the end, we shall enjoy breathing fresh air. And a poem called Listening. Whites need to listen to people of colour. Don't say, I'm listening. People of colour will tell us when we're listening. Men need to listen to women, not just say, I'm listening. Women will tell us when we're listening. Adults need to listen to children, able-bodied to persons with disabilities. They cannot always tell us if we're listening. 
all the more reason then to listen. Listen. And more than listen. Suburb, mainline and first world people need to listen. And more than listen. To inner city, sidelined and third world people. All of us need to listen, and more than listen. But able-bodied, mainline, first-world white men need the biggest ears, because we have to listen to everyone. P.S. Dumbo had big ears and learned how to fly. We sing, Lord, we come to ask your healing. Teach us of love.
Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. God, you spoke and the process of creation began, bringing order from chaos and allowing life to emerge. Christ, you are the word of God who entered our created world, born of woman, sharing our frailty and finitude. Sophia, you are the wisdom of God, hovering over chaos, speaking in silence, nurturing faith, and expressing our prayers in wordless groaning. Hear us now as we use words to bring our prayers for others and for each other. As we look around us and hear the often aggressive pronouncements by people in positions of power, we find ourselves lost for words, unable to string together a sentence to express how we feel, never mind challenge what we know to be wrong. So we pray for those closest to them, their advisors, civil servants, speechwriters, secretarial and clerical staff, asking that you would empower them to speak truth. And show us, too, how we can be agents for change through letters and emails, petitions and protests. As we near the end of the school year, we think of those whose studies and exams are over or almost over, and of those who've taught or tutored them and of those whose task is to mark, moderate, and report results. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say to those who are waiting for news. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so we pray for them, and for those closest to them, that they will have spaces and places for real rest and refreshment encouragement to know their real worth. And then when the news comes, appropriate support as the next steps emerge. Also, as the summer months begin, we think of those in our church who are able to enjoy holidays and excursions as well as those for whom it was life as usual, some of whom perhaps are no longer able to travel or whose time is spent in the care of others. Words seem inadequate to express our prayers. We can speak of travelling mercies, rest and refreshment, but it can also feel a bit too glib. So we pray for each other 
that whatever our summer brings, there will be moments of joy and delight, companionship and laughter. We think of our, widest, our wider Baptist family and pray for Francis Bloomfield, who is convener of the Baptist Union of Scotland, and the work of appointing a new general director. Many words have been and will be written and spoken. Committees will meet and decisions will be made. We pray for all involved, that you will help them to listen carefully and to discern wisely what you're saying to them, whether that's a whisper or a shout. At the start of what is sometimes called Volunteers Week, BMS invites us to pray for the many people who volunteer with them, whether short-term visits, student electives, or church teams. With them, we give thanks for doctors, nurses, teachers, engineers, and ministers who pay their own way to serve the most marginalized and vulnerable of people showing your love and acceptance of them. May their lives express what words perhaps cannot. And lastly, we pray for ourselves, needing to be reminded that you who created us love us. You who redeem us accompany us. You who sustain us enfold us. Help us to pray wisely, not seeking material wealth or human status, but the fulfilment of your call on our lives. Hear us and help us, we pray. In the name of Christ. Amen.
as we are small in number, I'm going to do communion slightly differently this morning and a change from plans, Edith. There will come a point um, during the liturgy when I'm going to invite everybody, I think everybody's able to stand, to come and join me around the table in a circle. And at that point, we will serve each other in silence, if that's okay. I will give you a hint when we get there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became a human being and lived among ordinary people. And the living Word spoke words of hope to those who had no hope. And the living Word spoke words of love to those who knew no love. And the living Word spoke words of welcome to those who had been excluded. And the living word said, love one another. And the living word said, do this to remember me. Words spoken, words heard and remembered, words written down and passed on. Jesus on the night of his betrayal and arrest, gathered his friends in a borrowed room to share a Passover meal. They sang old stories, sang, sorry, they told old stories, they sang old psalms, familiar words that comforted and reassured them, even when life suggested otherwise. And then Jesus spoke new words, shocking words that discomforted and disturbed them, suggesting that life was about to change. This bread, he said, it represents my body, which will be broken. Don't forget, from now on, remember these words when you eat bread. And this cup, it represents my blood that will be spilled. Don't forget, from now on, remember these words when you drink wine. They ate the, the bread and they drank the wine. They remembered. They passed on the words and others wrote them down. And now in this borrowed room, we remember them too. And so I invite you to come and gather around the table, forming a circle that we may share and remember. You have to curry in a bit. Or bunch up, or squish up, or whatever phrase you use where you come from. Whatever the holy word is for making a circle all together. Living word of God, accept our human words of thanks for this bread, for this wine, and for all that they mean to us. Help us to remember the story of Jesus, 
and to pass it on in our words and in our deeds. Amen. And as is our custom here, we will retain the glasses to drink together. <coughs> we are one in Christ Jesus. Let us drink together. The living word says to us, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We go from here refreshed and renewed, confident that these words are true. And so let us conclude by singing what I actually think is probably our, our theme song, the aspirational hymn that defines so much of who we are at Hillhead. Let us build a house where love can dwell. All are welcome. All are welcome. All are welcome in this place.
May the God who we meet in the words of Jesus uphold us and sustain us as we go to live the good news wherever God may lead us this day and every day. Mm -hmm.